Hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Stuttering Springboard. In this episode, Brian interviews Christopher Anderson, author of a new book called Every Waking Moment. Chris is a person who, who stutters, who has spent over 30 years researching how to articulate the complexities of his stuttering and the, the journey to self-acceptance. Listen as Chris explains his difficult early years as a person who, who stutters and then his the journey to adulthood and transcendence to become a person more comfortable with his stutter. He explains how to move from what he calls a stuttering lens, filled with fear, anxiety, and shame, into a life of grit, acceptance, and open stuttering. Okay, welcome to the Stuttering Springboard. My name is Brian Nolan. Uh, the Springboard is a podcast put on by the Nolan Stuttering Foundation that is focused on helping young people spring to the next level in their lives and educate the population on what it means to be a person who stutters and the experiences they have. Um, I am joined today by... Um, uh, one of my new heroes, uh, his, his name is Chris Anderson. He's the author of a new book, Every Waking Moment. He's a person who stutters. He spent over 30 years studying how to articulate the complexities of stuttering and the journey of self-acceptance. He holds a graduate degree in intelligence studies and is an award-winning subject matter expert on national security for the U.S. government in Washington, D.C. He lived with his family. He is an endurance athlete, having completed three Ironman, um, which is huge. There's so much, Chris, to unpack in this book. You peel back the lives of myself and all, all those who stutter. I, I almost don't know where to begin. But I guess I'll begin by welcoming you and thanking you for being here. And then we'll get into the endurance athlete part. Welcome, Chris. Thank you for the introduction and for having me today. I'm excited to talk about the book and um, answer all your questions. Uh, well, so you're an endurance athlete. That that was key in the book, it, it was uh, part of transcendence for you. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm an endurance athlete, so I I, I get it. I, I wonder if you can share with us how doing an Ironman changed you, how it redefined you, and what, what prompted you to do your first Ironman? You know, it was um, kind of a dream uh, to do one. And I used to watch them every year on TV. And I was like, those people are resilient and strong and in control of themselves. And they, they know what they want. And it was a little bit outside of the realm of what I thought was possible, but came at a time when I had opened up my life a little bit and I had some space to really pursue the things that, that I wanted to. And um, as I read about in the book, I had been uh, working out um, extremely hard in the year leading up to uh, to eventually deciding to to learn how to be an Ironman. And I was really uh, not happy just being strong. Like I, I was doing a, a lot of weightlifting and, and I was like, what am I, am I doing here? What's the purpose of this to look 
to look nice. Um, <laughs> but I, the real reason was, was that I wanted to struggle in something other than my speech. Every time I opened up my mouth to talk, it was a struggle both inside and out. Mm. And I needed something else to learn how to, to handle that, to, to know that I could be in, in control of my life. And part of that, which I think I'll eventually get into is the process. Mm. How do you learn how to swim? Um, how do you learn how to ride over hundred miles? How do you learn how to run a marathon? I never had done any of those things. And while I was an athlete, uh, I really did have to learn how to swim and to ride and to run and how to do all of them all together and take a lot of time in explaining that because the process helps. It helps to like take the small steps to, I mean, the, the first time I got in the pool to, to teach myself how to swim, it took me four or five times to get to the other side. And that was really frustrating. I think I, I swam maybe 10 laps that first time and I, I was like, that's it, I'm done. Like this. I, I liked how you uh, explain your uh, first, uh, I, get, I guess half Ironman down in Maryland where uh, the uh, swim didn't go so well. You did manage, but um, <laughs> I, I, I had a similar experience in, in my first sprint, you know, which is only like a half a mile swim. Mm -hmm. They tapped me to pull me out because I, I, was, I was hyperventilating. My lungs had sort of sort of filled up with air. And I, I said, no, no, you're not pulling me out. And I floated for a minute, got my wits about me and have since become a decent swimmer, not a great swimmer. It's the weakest of, of my three sports mm -hmm. there. But that's the thing is that you have to learn how to operate when you're uncomfortable. Like that's, that's right. part of... Also, what helped me a lot is that I was exhausted. Like the whole four or five years that I was doing the Ironman and that helped me to understand that, um, you know, I could do something extremely hard that took commitment, responsibility, you know, all the things that, help you understand how to work through the struggle and the exhaustion and the, all of that that comes with endurance sports. And I got to the, the point where um, I just had to show up and work out. Like it was, I mean, it wasn't easy, but it was the process. And I knew mm -hmm. if I, I worked, through that, um, I do well in the races. Did, do um, did you or do you use a lot of self talk uh, to visualize the the finish line? There was a comment that I saw you talked about. Um, you go through through the motions to cross the finish the finish line. Do do you use visualization in in your sort of avoidance reduction also, visualizing, doing it. Because I, I, I often think people who stutter, they, they see the words ahead of time that they're gonna stutter on. Yeah. And visualizing a different outcome is pretty powerful if you can start to get to do that. And then I relate that to being in pain and vis visualizing myself crossing the finish line, right? Yeah, and that part about it is understanding uh, that you have to go a little further, push a little harder than, than 
you think you can handle um, because none of the races were the same. There was always the wild cards that happened. Like in one of them, I think I put in the book, like I lost a contact like yeah. halfway through the bike and I had to ride the rest of it with one eye closed <laughs> and like, but that's the thing is like, you have to learn how to, to adapt to, to the situation. And like, part of that is in training, you break it down into the, the manageable steps. Like, for example, like I didn't just start out swimming over two miles, like, took me a couple of years to work up to that eventually. And all the laps in the pool were like, you forget the number of the lap that you're on. I always do that. I always yep. do that. Yep. But you have to work through that and just make up for it. And how I was able to relate that to my speech is that um, I used to approach um, like different opportunities to talk in a way like, what do I have to do here? Like, am I making a phone call? Am I talking in a meeting? Am I um, at the store? Like, what is the worst thing that can happen? to me in those situations. Mm -hmm. And as I went through them and I, I allowed myself to experience them, you start to see that, that your worries hardly ever come true. Mm -hmm. And a huge part of that was doing that alongside the Ironman mm -hmm. workouts, like, I used to have to ride over a hundred miles and then, then run 10 miles. Like that is, that is hard, really <laughs> hard. And, but as you, you try it and you see how your body responds, you start to adapt. And, you know, I did that exactly the same way with like learning how to make a phone call like mm -hmm. reducing the anxiety and the stress on the phone, like that took a really long time and it was step-by-step. Step. Like I would go from only dialing the number, holding the phone and then hanging up just to see like how I reacted. And then I would take it a little further and say, hello, and then whatever happened after that, that's what happened. But I was just taking it step-by-step. Step. And mm -hmm. when you do that, it's a slow um, evolution to what you think or you know that you're able to handle. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the, the first part of the book it was just bringing back memories. I mean, the snake, right? In the classroom reading situation, mm -hmm. counting paragraphs. Um, and I just, you know, related and it was, you know, as, as I said earlier, brought, brought tears to my eyes because of, of sort of similar experiences. The second part, when you get into transcendence, that's when it hit me in the face really, really hard, Chris. The, uh, the, the concept of the uh, stuttering lens, um, was was huge um i think you call it the anticipatory anxiety uh the probability of fear and shame um and the internal filter that all of us have we, we literally see the whole world through the through a different perspective can you can, can you speak to like the discovery of that you know realization and 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 the impact of it what it means yeah yeah I mean, that's what ruled my life for, for over 20 years. I mean, everything I did or I wanted to do had to pass through the lens. Like 
I couldn't possibly do this or that if I stutter, even if it didn't have anything to do with talking. Like all the examples or all the things that I did, it just seemed impossible to imagine doing them if I stuttered and it kind of shrunk the, the opportunities in my life. Like I would just like not even attempt things or um, be social or uh, make new friends or anything like that because of how stuttering might impact it, what they'll think, you know, all that stuff. And you don't understand it, that that's happening when you're amidst it, like as it's happening, it's just how you live. It just becomes part of how you see the environment around you. Like, but when you see it, and you realize it, like it, it's, you're like, how, why did I think that way? Why was I, I so afraid to do things if it didn't have anything to do with my stuttering? Like in sports, especially, like I used to be afraid to, like in football, I'd have to take the plays into the huddle and I would, be so so focused on telling the play to the quarterback that I forget what play I told him and I would throw the whole thing <laughs> off. And I was just like so afraid of it. And but that also like really held me back. Like I was a pretty good athlete, but I could have been a lot better if I didn't if my mind wasn't always preoccupied with how stuttering impacted everything. Hence, I mean, hence the name of the book, Every, Every Waking Moment. I mean, exactly. I, I, what, what people don't realize is how much people who stutter think about stuttering. Mm -hmm. It's sort of, I mean, multiple times a minute you're thinking about stuttering. Yeah. And it's and it's so, which is why I'm 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 now committed, sort of in the maybe the last third of my professional life, um, to really understanding it and running back towards stuttering. I mean, like you, probably I spent a lifetime running from it. Um, yeah. You know, you you fortunately have running back to it at a much earlier age. I mean, I'm 59. It wasn't until I, I was 50 that I had this realization that I that I had like a rock in my shoe that I needed to deal with and become more purposeful about this. And, and so I, I want to hit this concept of the iceberg and, and, you know, the tip of the iceberg that everybody sees is this fluency, right? That's what people see. And, but, but um, you actually, the book, you, you call the disease is actually below the iceberg, below the water, because most of an iceberg is below the water. What was below your water? everything on the inside, everything yeah. that you couldn't see. And that's the part that you ultimately have to work on. Like there has to be, if you're trying to, to improve your life, if you want to, to address the real, I guess, uh, impediments of stuttering, you have to focus on the impact that has on the inside, how it makes you feel because it's our internal reaction to it that makes the struggle. Like it, it really is. And when you're able to, to alleviate that just a little bit and see how much that influences how you stutter it's like 
mind blowing. Like you start to see that um, all the s s side effects, like uh, I described in the book, like the tongue flap, the the lack of eye contact, the the hypervigilance to all speaking situations like those are things that are taking up all your energy and prevent you from from really living how you want to and i wasn't able to see any of that while i lived through it yet i knew it was there i knew i need to address it i just i never knew how like it, it was it impacted every part of my life and I never tried to address it. So, so like me, you went through a lot of speech therapy as a child and, you know, um, the uh, focus was clearly on the tools, but all the things you're talking about now are not about the tools. I'll, I'll be, I mean, tools will help you in a situation possibly, right? If you use it, in real life, most people don't, most people who stutter don't get to use the tools in, in real life. Yeah. How, how uh, I'm, I'm hopeful that your, your book is going to hope to change um, the way speech therapists look at stuttering therapy. And, and we'll get into shortly the cognitive behavioral uh, components of it. Um, so I'm, I'm hopeful that it will. Um, have, have you received any input around that? Are, are, are you talking in front of speech therapists? I mean, guys, people like Joe Donaher and, and uh, you know, clearly Vivian in your book, which, which we'll get to, they, they're so far ahead of the kind of speech therapy that I had as a young boy. Do, yeah. you, do you see a change happening? I do, but it's not fast enough um but that goes back to the point of the book is that i always as i wrote it i thought about um what is this book meant to do and it wasn't to spread awareness about stuttering, it wasn't to, um, you know, talk about only my life. It was to do exactly what you're saying is that to provide an idea of a way out. Like, how, where do you start? What does it look like? How long does it take? And there's this whole idea about um, everyone has their own experience of stuttering. And I agree with that. Everyone experiences it in their own way, but we all have to pass through a lot of the same experiences and to work on a lot of the same things. And a huge part about that is what's happening on the inside. And nobody talks about that. Nobody is highlighting the place that you have to start. And that was part of the reason that I wrote the third part of the book because it, it wasn't even supposed to be part of the book. But to answer, your question, um, I am talking to SLPs and uh, it's already, it'll be um, be a book that a uh, few SLPs are using in their syllabus for their, their classes mm. that they teach. And that's mm. part about part 
of the book that I wanted to to do is that I want to go after the problem and help others understand how to to approach what seems impossible for for a lot of people and um, I mean there's a huge need for that and I'm not going to be the only one but um, I wanted to do my part you are you're doing more than your part um, I want to I want to hit a topic that I'm still going through you know part of why I, I do this podcast is it really has two parts. Part of it is selfish because it's my own journey, right? Yeah. Part of it is selfless. So the world can, like you, uh, share better, understand the experiences of, of people who stutter and particularly young people who feel like it's a barrier. That's why it's called the stuttering springboard, right? To spring them up to to, to the next level. I want to talk about open stuttering. And it, it's something that um, I'm still not comfortable with. I, I say in previous podcasts, I'm comfortable telling people that I stutter. In fact, yeah. I'm telling the world that I stutter now, but I still feel uh, this feeling of shame when I stutter. Yeah. Um, even on this podcast, I've I've tried not not to stutter. I'll switch words, um, and I'm pretty good at at switching words. But you know, who am I fooling, right? Yeah. And so, um, but but I, I want to link it to this to this trauma concept. When, when that 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 hit me hard too, like boof. So. You talk about every stuttering episode becomes a drama in our lives. And so then, therefore, any perceived a future stutter is a trauma happening before it actually happens. Yeah. Right. Like just the whole thought of of um, reading a class is a trauma. And um, we all had these traumatic experiences that shaped our youths in a in a, a in a significant way, how how were you able? Because this this was a big big turning point that I that I saw in the book when you started to open stutter and not feel the same amount of of anxiety and, and trauma that you used to. What what was it, the turning point there, Chris? Well, I think. Overall, it's about the process. Like, I really took it moment by moment, and everything that I feared, the moments that I feared, I I attacked them to understand like what was happening in the moments, and I didn't. start with open open stuttering i the first thing i worked on was keeping my eye contact mm. and that's all that i worked on and as i began to literally open my eyes in the moments I didn't have to rely on the past to explain what was happening. Like mm -hmm. you have to see what's actually happening in the moments to understand that nothing is happening other than you're stuttering and people aren't laughing most of the time or as often as you think they might and you're just talking. And as you, you do that over and over and over, you start to rewrite the thoughts that you have about the moments and in, in anticipation of them and as they're happening. And eventually um, I worked up to
showing all of my stuttering all the time. Mm -hmm. And what that, that helps with is the reactivity to the moments, like mm -hmm. how you react on the inside, like makes you struggle on the outside. And I saw that that actually happening and I was like blown away by that slight understanding that the moments were not as bad as I thought they were and there wasn't a reason to fear them or to have the reaction on the inside of the, the anxiety, the fear, the shame, the exhaustion like why was I so exhausted after every <laughs> time I stuttered like it just took, took so much out of me just to do one speaking opportunity and as you said when you grow up that way and that's how you learn how to talk that's how you learn how to feel as well you learn mm -hmm. how to to fear things, all things are threats. Everything brings anxiety and that isn't a way to live that, or interact with other people. And that helped a lot. Um, and at the same time, it's an ongoing, process like I'm still um working on it all the time like I, I experience new types of things all the time and have to work on like recovering a lot faster or, or um processing you know the hard moments to be able to do the next one and you don't see that or how that, that works while you're struggling with your eyes closed, your mind all consumed by stuttering. Like you need to have the space to experience everything that is actually happening. What, do you, what would you tell a, a younger Chris Anderson or, um, many of the kids listening to, to this podcast about um, avoidance. What would you tell them about, about cause it's, it's, it's the biggest issue that we deal with avoidance. Yeah. yeah. The thing that I learned is that nobody cares about your stuttering. Nobody really cares more mm. than you and when you start to take the risks and, the, and experience the moments that you're avoiding, you actually start to enjoy them. And it doesn't take long to see that if you try something that you usually avoid, it is never as bad as you thought. And I wish I had put myself out there a lot more in the earlier years. I just couldn't get the space from the reactions that I had in the mm -hmm. struggle. Like I used to only be able to say a few words at a time that I'd, I would be, be done. Like I couldn't say anything. And as you start to take the risks and show yourself that you're more than capable of getting through a moment that you usually avoid, they become a lot easier and you, you actually become more social, more outgoing. You start to see these moments as like opportunities to learn and I wish I had taken more of the risks earlier on. 
Yeah, but it, it's this fear, right? Fear uh, is what um, we resort to. And uh, thank you for introducing me to Ryan Holiday and uh, the Daily Stoic. So I immediately got the book. As I as I was reading your book, I paused and I downloaded that Daily Stoic and um, also Ryan Holiday's book, The Obstacle Is the Way. Um, and um, I I love the quote by Marcus Aurelius, um, the the impediment to action advances action. And the only, so really the only way out is through it, which yeah. which lends me on to this this concept of when when you met uh, Vivian, Vivian seemed to be the first speech therapist in your life who um, approached it in a totally different different manner. And and you call it avoidance reduction therapy. Um, yeah, you, you say it's it's the operating system for your final confrontation with stuttering. It it uh, facilitated your climb out of the traumatic state of stuttering. Can you tell us about avoidance reduction therapy as a thing? Is this becoming a thing? <laughs> it's I love it. Definitely a thing, and it's it's the place to be if you want to work on your speech. And a lot of a lot of SLPs are taking it on as well because it's that it's how you work on the inner life of stuttering. Like, how do you work on all the things that we've been talking about? It's, you just identify them, pick out assignments to, to work on them in the real world. And then you come back and you talk about them. And I think having, well, the other part about it is that it was in a group and I got to see a whole bunch of people who were exactly like me at the various stages um, doing things that, that I wanted to be able to do. And I watched them, I heard them in the sessions and then plan my assignments around working up to it. And part about, a part of that is understanding all the things that you do when you stutter. Like each part of stuttering, we broke down, talked about and um, experienced in the sessions. And it kind of allowed me to have the language to, to describe all the parts of, of stuttering that I wasn't able to explain. And just having the words like shame or anxiety or avoidance, I never heard those in all the, the therapy I had but they explain exactly the experience that I was having. And as I said, it was the missing link to all the therapy that I, that I had in the past. And I think what kind of is nice about it is that the tools are there still. They're still part of it. It's just, the intent behind them is not to be fluent. It's to be able to be be a more efficient communicator. A um, better stutterer, a better stutterer, yeah. better, right? Yeah. If Joe yeah. Donher says, he says, I'm not gonna teach you fluency, I'm gonna teach you how to stutter better. Yeah, yep. And part about that for me was, uh, as you read, uh, I needed to be able to stutter longer and with less struggle 
um, because I just, I didn't have, I couldn't put my words together in a way that I wanted to. And um, what's unique about it is you kind of identify all the fears and avoidances and you rank them and you just start working on them. You, you, mm-hmm. you take the easy ones and you work on those, but also you, you work at the hard ones. And part about that for me was I had a lot of high feared opportunities to work on my speech. And I think that kind of like accelerated my understanding of the therapy and the need to, to, to push myself. What, what do we say though, to the, to the 14 year old boy um, who is like, I'm not going to open stutter in class. There are bullies everywhere here. Um, So the, the biggest challenge I think we have is, is how to, um, promote this, how to get buy-in um, from younger kids, younger people to um, start to get braver because it's, it's, it's tough. And, yeah. you know, you, you got there, um, I guess, in your late 20s or so. And, you know. Um, uh, so I think what's really helpful in that regard is you have to to put them around a model, a person who's who's a little bit ahead of them on the path of, you know, understanding how to work through it. And um, that's part of the reason that the self-help groups are so powerful is that you see other people taking the risks and you want to do that yourself. Um, and I know that's hard in the schools, and but at the same time, they don't even have to be person who stutters. Take the SLP in the school and sit them right next to the, the kid in class and say, I'm here next to you. No one's going to make fun of you. I love and it. Then, you just have to make a little bit of progress until yeah. they see that while the bullies are there, the bullying is not happening as often as you think. Like yeah. that's yeah. the other part about it. It only takes the one time to believe that it's going to happen all the time. Yeah. And I think that has to be a message that, that we, we really share with the younger kids. I mean, I, that, that's why I think your book is so powerful is that I, I think it's going to help to transform um, speech therapy and, and group therapy. And, and so kids don't feel alone. All, all of us who stutter can, can relate to um, the aloneness of it. We, we, um, we're, we're the only ones in the class who stutter. Um, so we hide it as much as we can. You so you made the decision to uh, join join the FBI. I was so I was so uh, impressed by your grit of the interviews you went through, uh, both on the phone and the panels that that you went through. Um, what advice do you have for young people who are thinking about uh, a career through the stuttering lens? Um, who wouldn't imagine, like, I can't go to, to the FBI and debrief the directors of the FBI? I mean, that was wild. Yeah. What advice do you, do you have? That you must have powered, you must have had so much self-talk around that. That, that grit was just huge for me to read about. The problem with those experiences is that they were very traumatic. They weren't, it wasn't about pushing 
through them. It was more about, I don't have any other options, but it's all at the same time, everything I did in the lead up to them allowed me to be in the situation to, to, to be the person that they went to, to, to provide that briefing. But I'll be honest, I never thought I could do any of the things that I did mm. um, or have done. It, like you can't imagine them till you try them. And that, that's part of the reason that, that I walked through in college exactly what happened. Like I was blacking out in front of the classes doing the presentations, even though I wasn't talking, like the, the computer was talking on my behalf. That's wild. Like just the reactivity to that. But that was the start. You have to start with something. And it's also why I put in, in the book, the part about the interview on the phone, like that was probably one of the hardest things I ever had to do up to that point. Mm. And it took everything out of me to get through it. And I wanted to be able to, to explain that in a way to show people that if you go to those really extreme lengths and and you show yourself as you are, things are gonna work out for you. Mm. And even though I didn't believe it at the time, that's how it, it all has, has happened. Like you just have to have like an ounce of understanding that, hey, maybe I can make it through this one experience. And then you take on the next and the next, like, that's what I mean by like the process, like mm -hmm. understanding how to change is more important than understanding how to stutter more efficiently. Um, it, it does seem like, like, like the group as <clears throat> aspect of it really helped you that you weren't going through it alone in therapy even, right? To push through, that seemed well, that, like that was pretty helpful. That was pre-therapy. All those experiences were ah. before I went to therapy. And, but that's the foundation. I was on my way already when I entered into therapy, when I had pushed myself to the point of, I can't, handle this on my own and as you know like when you fail often in therapy you're like I need to do this on my own and you go after it and you try and you fail and it's like really hard to handle however when you ask for help and you get to the point of reaching out your hand to an SLP that understands what they need to do to help you, it'll work out as well. Like, I don't know how to explain it, but I really learned to understand the process of change. Like mm. it's not something that happens overnight and it begins a lot sooner than you thought. Like I started to work on my speech in college, but I wasn't like in therapy. I wasn't actively planning assignments. But that was 
the start that that eventually allowed me to excel in avoidance reduction. You just have to to be able to like analyze the journey and you know I keep saying this but you have to learn the process. I'm I'm gonna go only one more deep question and then and then one more not deep one. Um, the deep one that I want to go to is in uh, journaling and uh, cognitive behavioral modification. You you call it um, how we think and feel, and this is this is in the moment. And this is the uh, transition of it sounds like you went through to just be in the moment and have have the mindfulness about the stutter, not about all the thoughts and anxieties and and feel. So it, it seemed like you did a lot of journaling. And yeah. was journaling a part of your ability to um, almost distance yourself from it, look down on it so you could analyze it as opposed to being being consumed by it? And do you, do you recommend journaling? And where would a young person start? I think it was the most helpful part of my uh, the work I did on my speech because it allowed me to see what was in my head that was preventing me from really confronting my stuttering. Um, and as I wrote about in the book, like I just kind of started with the thoughts that were swirling around in my head and I put them down on paper. I never read them. I never went back through them. I just emptied them all out. And when I did that, they weren't there to, to, to distract me. And the thing about that is I never understood like how my thoughts and emotions and my feelings were contributing to how I stuttered. And as I was able to, to release them onto the, the paper, um, I was more free to, to think better thoughts to 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 approach things that that i wanted to do like the iron man um and it's like really eye-opening to take the time to slow it down and like i hand wrote them all like i mm -hmm. spent an hour every morning before i went to work and it it became a practice that that i had to do at start of my days um, and it changed the way I thought about all parts of my life. Um, but it's hard to do. I know it's not for everybody, but it was for me. And, and the important part was that I started, I just allowed it to happen and see where it led. Um, yeah. Yeah, that, that's awesome. I mean, I, I think uh, what it's done is it's, it's shown that the, it, there's a mental health link to, to all this. And, and so much of stuttering is mental health and how we think and feel about it and to put those those thoughts in perspective um, as opposed to consumed by us. Um, okay, just a um, couple more questions. One, one easy one, and then one, this may be, be the last one. In your National Stuttering Association keynote, you ended with, I will keep showing up. I will not be afraid. I will always stutter. 
but it won't hold me back. How is this going for you now? I mean, obviously, stuttering is still a huge part of my life, but it's not like it used to be. Like I'm not, I'm not afflicted by it. I'm not afraid of anything. I, I'm just going after mm. life in a way that that I wanted to all the years that I wasn't able to and at the same time like there are times when i'm afraid or i want to avoid but i don't i i take them on and i and i watch what happens because mm-hmm. i think the part about confronting your stuttering um, is about self-confidence. It isn't at all about how you stutter. And like, nice. what are you doing to get the evidence that you need to build your self-confidence? And it doesn't have to do with how you talk. Like mm. you like to play sports, play sports. and train hard, play hard. If you like to read, keep learning. Like, however you're able to build self-confidence, that's the key. And I started with a really hard thing in the Ironman, but I also followed it up with harder things like writing a book, having a son, you know, mm, congratulations. Thank you. Those are things that, that I never thought were possible. And as you start to really experience them, as I said, like you wonder why you were so afraid of them mm. most of your life. And that's the self-confidence coming up to the surface to lead you forward. I'll throw you a curveball um, here. Your your son, um, how old's your son now? Is he three? Yeah, he's three. Yep. He's three. So um, no signs of, of him yet stuttering or um, how do you think and feel about that? So I, you know, disclosure, two of my boys stutter. Um, so, uh, I guess my uncle stuttered, um, and, uh, how do you think and feel about the thought of your son stuttering? He stutters. He stutters. Yep. He does. Uh, it's been kind of a whirlwind these last probably four or five months. Um, I mean, you don't know how you're gonna react till it actually happens. And like, I wrote about it in the book a little bit, but he wasn't old enough to to really talk yet at that point. But he, he started um, probably around August or September and like, I, started to see the avoidance behaviors and the like tricks of trying to get the words out almost immediately. And a lot of it was like excitement. Like he was like getting way ahead of himself and like, processing the words he wanted to say. But when I started to see the eye movements, the the movements in his mouth kind of hit me hard. And, you know, I'm still working on accepting it, 
but also like he's all over the board in how variable it is. Like over the holidays, uh, we went up to my parents' house and the minute he got there, he started only stuttering on the vowels um, and would like prolong them. And it was like, what the heck is going on here? Mm. And my wife was a wreck because like, she doesn't want him to have the experience I had. And, you know, I understand that he won't, but it's hard to watch and hear. Um, but like anything else, you have to let it play out. Like he could still grow out of it at this point. He could, sure he could. Between, um, as you say in the book, I guess there's a, a window you call it yeah. uh, between yeah. I guess three and nine or so. Yeah, uh, even though it's a little uh, more unlikely if a parent mm. stutters. Mm. At the same time, though, I'm way more accepting of it than I was at the start. Like it's not affecting me as much. Like I, mm -hmm. I'm just happy that he's happy and talking and, you know, mm -hmm. he sings all the time. Like he sings all day long and it's like, oh my gosh, in Spanish too. And it's like, you know, how could I want any more than that? So it's, yeah. Well, you'll, you'll be a great dad for it to help him experience, uh, the journey um, a little bit differently, maybe earlier. Um, if if you ever want to talk a, aside from the podcast about it, you know my two boys, my one boy's thirty one, and uh, a Jack who you probably hear on the podcast. Jack does the introductions to our podcast. He's cool. twenty five, so I guess my counsel is to um, take the journey with them um, as a. As a young boy, I think you mentioned it too. It's not talked a lot about in in the in the family. I mean, I come from a large family, seven kids. Um, it just wasn't talked about. It was just it was sort of the secret everybody knew about. Yeah. And uh, I think I think that's a mistake uh, to not to let's hit it head on because if, if you don't talk about it, then we internalize it, and all the things you talked about begin happening. Yeah. And that that exactly. exacerbates it. Yeah. And I've like I already had had to have the talk my parents and like you know I was like we're gonna talk about this and we're gonna acknowledge it we're gonna you know help them along here like it's not gonna be be the way it was for me that we had to do everything in our power to fix it and like we're just kind of ride it out see what happens that's great, Chris. That that's great. The last question is a softball. When's your next Ironman or your or your next endurance event? Not a softball to do, but a softball to, to answer. Yeah, uh, probably a few years away. Um, being a dad uh, is taking a lot out of me. Uh, yeah. So I'm really kind of putting them on hold at the moment, but. I'm starting to get the itch to get back out there again. Join me someday before I get too old, huh? Yeah. I'm uh, I'm doing July 2nd, uh, the, the one in Pennsylvania, Half Iron at Happy Valley. It's oh, cool. the one. Yeah, so I I'm ju I just got back into the pool um, two weeks ago. Uh, your book inspired me to, to get back and do it. I did Maine in, in 2017 or 18. Um, and it was great. Yeah. It was great. It's a great, you know, the whole the whole process of preparing for it, right? Mm -hmm. it, the whole mental aspect of focus and goal and is 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 an experience that I don't want to lose. <laughs> yeah. And I turned sixty in two weeks. I don't wow. want to lose it. <laughs> yeah, you got to keep going. Got to keep going. Yeah. Yeah. So, 
Christopher Anderson, thank you. Christopher Anderson, author of the book, Every Waking Moment. Uh, if you haven't read this, uh, if you're a person who studies, if you're a parent of a kid who does, uh, if you want to learn more about it, I don't think there's a book that that breaks down the play-by-play experience of a person who stutters through the journey. Christopher, thank you so much. Thank you for having me on. We'll see you again sometime in the future. Yeah. Thanks, bud. Nolan Stuttering Foundations, or NSF's primary purpose is to bring young people who stutter together and help them become the best versions of themselves. We do this through programming design to help them share and navigate the unique communication and psychological challenge they experience. NSF helps prepare young people to take the next step in their lives, whether it's high school, college, or or, or your, your career. For ideas and and contributions to the podcast, contact us at info at nolansf.org.